Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. to another edition of the Water Baller podcast with myself Gary. I'm joined by Anne today. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Today. <laughs> You're joined by me all the time, Gary. As always, yeah. <laughs> well when your internet works, I am, yeah. Uh, when my internet works, yes. Uh, I, I, I have had trouble with the internet today, but we're here. We're here. And I'm I'm in the hottest room in the world as well. So <laughs> it's um it's good fun. Awesome. So um, we kind of had this conversation a couple of weeks ago about doing like a little mini series about grassroots and like how important it is, obviously, grassroots coming through like youth academies, you know, Sunday League, all that sort of stuff. So today we've got uh, Jordan Nicholson on the podcast, who is Chief Scout for Washington United. How are you doing, Jordan? I'm good. Thanks, Gary. Uh, thanks, Ant and uh, Gary for having us on. Uh, pretty good, mate. Yeah. Going well. Spot on, mate. Spot on. So what we wanted to talk about today is like grassroots and how you got to where you are now like how did you originally get get into grassroots get into sunday league and all that sort of stuff in the past yeah well um i mean as long as i can remember like walking i've been kicking a ball basically uh not very well i might add but you know <laughs> god loves the trier and all that um but yeah i mean i started out with um durham city's uh youth setup when i was about seven years old um i just started started playing with them my dad was coaching and managing um, I kind of started helping him when I got around 14-ish I started helping him when he was doing the under 8 development and stuff like that um, all the while still playing got to about 15, 16 I was doing refereeing for a year or two um, knocked that on the head but I've I've had you know roles within grassroots football since pretty much the age of like 7 um, when you consider 20 years this month that's uh, oh, 11 years. a long a long old Along I'll slog in the game. But um yeah, as I say, like different different things. Um so I've been like you know, throughout my time at, at Durham. I was sort of assistant manager for the reserve team set up. I went manager, interim manager for the reserves. Um I was coach for the quite successful under eighteens team with Durham. Um uh yeah, so I've, I've you name it, I've done it uh, in grassroots football basically, mate. So I um I've just relocated back to Durham and back to the North East in the last month or so. And uh, I, I knew the gaffer and a few of the coaches over at uh, Washington United because uh, I used to play for them at uh, Durham Reserves. Cracking bunch of lads and he sold us you know, what he wants out of Washi. And I said, well, I might not be able to commit to coaching full-time or anything like that. But, you know, I've done my, um, my level one in uh, talent identification with the FA. So scouting, basically. And, uh, yeah, I said, is that something you want? Is, you know, you've got a, a space for or anything like that. Uh, it was it was over the moon. So here I am, uh, head scout. I think the official role is with Washington United. And, 
Yes, early days in the role, yes, plus looking at things like next opponents and any potential players we can pick up or even just our own players looking at the, the player development uh, and performance analysis side of things. So, yeah, I'm going really well and, as I say, it's early days in the role, but as far as grassroots goes, I've I've been there, done it, got the T-shirt, printed the T-shirts, the T-shirts all, it's got holes, mate, that's, that's how I've been around <laughs> grassroots. Oh, fair enough, fair enough. Um, I mean, you have mentioned there that you've done quite a few roles, obviously started off playing um, and then moved into multiple coaching roles. Obviously, Ant has also got coaching roles as well. And obviously, I'm going to bring Ant in here as well. I mean, you kind of followed like a very similar path to Jordan as well. I mean, like, how how did you get into it as well, Ant? Not not as obviously not as in depth as what Jordan's got in. Obviously, I'll just I run I've run a couple of teams on in a Sunday League premise, and that's just basically getting into Sunday League when I was probably about about sixteen, seventeen, um, and that was literally just by an accident. Just um, sat us in the team. Obviously, where I'm from, we're short of players, and my dad was secretary there and just said, "You fancy." going on the bench and I was like yeah yeah no problem and then literally 10 minutes into the game one of the lads had got injured so here's me thrust upon you know my very first um, Sunday league game whilst I'm still at school um, you know about you know seven stone went through um, I've put a lot on since but I um, and from there I have always had like a kind of you know vested interest in like the, the watching side of football you know I, especially when I going through my teenagers early 20s I did watch a lot of football whether it was you know non-league whether it was something on the telly or whatever like that um, and I ju- it just felt when I got into me early to early to mid 30s um, obviously I'm 36 now the, the, old bo- the old body was you know I was kind of creaking you know I got my back's kind of gone thought you know there's gonna be a knee point in playing you know put put a lot of me experience into you know managing a, a couple of Sunday league teams and you know we've, we've done all right with one then I left that a couple of years ago and then we've started um started one at Belmont last year we got promoted last year um somehow <laughs> and this year we've we've kind of I've kind of taken a back step on it with we're starting a new job um and I'm just you know being separate of it now but you know the there's a couple of players on our side that I think probably could have played at a, a higher level, obviously a little bit, you know, older now. But um, yeah, that, that's it really. Just it's just been through the love of the game, to be honest. Awesome, cool. So Jordan, um, like, can you just tell us what like the importance is of grassroots and like how like key it is to obviously like the the, the semi professional game, professional game. Yeah, uh, it's absolutely massive, to be honest. With you. I mean, for for me as well, I've seen firsthand. The, the good grassroots um, football clubs can do, you know, for a community and things like that. Uh, for example, take McCurry um, Club Washington United. There's uh, 500 junior players in the youth setup there alone. Now, you think that's that's 500 kids who, on a Saturday, Sunday morning, they're getting up, going to see the mates, you know, smile on the face, having a laugh, having a, a you know, a kickabout and things like that. And it's just, it does wonders for for areas and and communities and stuff like that so that's a big part of the washington united project um is trying to get the community involved trying to get these lads sort of you know in with the mates and and doing something they love um as i said i used to play for a couple uh sunday league teams as well one from a local village uh quarton hill just down the road from durham and again it's just it's one of those things that really does bring a community together um obviously as you start stepping up the the non-league pyramid from where we are, uh, we've in Washington, in the Wayside League, you go into Northern League, then it's the Northern League Premier from there. And obviously, I'm, I've known a lot of lads go through that pyramid who are now playing at, say, uh, Northern League or Northern Premier. And it really do, it, it's brilliant to see the development of local talent as well, because obviously we everyone knows the North East is... A hotbed for football, both with fans and and the talent. If you look at the the talent that's been produced over the last 20, 30 years, you know, even go back to people like Gaza, Alan Shearer. Obviously, I've mentioned two former Newcastle players there, so I hate myself for it. But you've got to, you know, admire the the talent that's been on display. You look at what Sunderland's produced in the last ten years alone, or ten, fifteen. Jordan Pickford, Jordan Henderson, you know, England starters. You think this is really the area to to be for football, the, the passion that everyone seems to have in the area, um, you know, and, and clearly, I think if you look at the FA Vars and over the last 10 years, 
I believe, eight years out of ten, it's been won by a team from northeast leagues. So clearly, there's there's a massive um, pool of talent here. So obviously, when you do get that little bit more competitive into the Saturday league side of things, still at grassroots, but you can see that the talent that has come through this area and continues to do so. You know, you've you've just got to look at some of the talent that's been leaving Sunderland's academy in the last few years for, well, the, I'm sure all three of us would argue pennies far less than what they should have been going for. You know, going to top top clubs. Um, so yeah, as I said, the, the main thing is the community feel this kind of camaraderie between lads. But then and lasses obviously is because women's football is a massive thing now. Um, Gary, you'll remember uh, one of my good mates. Uh, played for Hartlepool for quite a while. Uh, Hartlepool Sarah. ladies and yeah, uh, Sarah she's not Redka uh, town ladies. I was watching them the other day again, cracking little setup affiliated with the the men's club, and yeah, it's just about getting the sort of camaraderie between teammates, between communities, and then as it becomes more competitive, it's still at the grassroots level. It is about trying to develop that talent and and really you know push this this amazing area of the country even higher on the list for the, the the amount of top top footballers that we produce because you know I've, I've uh, just come from um, Scarborough I've been living down there for a year and a half and to be honest mate that there doesn't seem to be that that passion for the game that we have up here in you know on mass um, so yeah as I say it's it's a few different things but community camaraderie and you know development of players awesome yeah cool i mean you mentioned there sarah as well obviously she she plays the women's game i mean and i'm gonna bring you in here as well because you're a massive fan of the the lady side of the game mm-hmm. so as far as you know youth development grassroots goes in regards to the women's game i imagine obviously we could do a lot more with that i mean it is it's becoming more prominent obviously they're showing the wsl now on sky sports and stuff so i just want to quickly have a chat with well, yourself and also Jordan about like the the women's side of grassroots. Like, what what's your thoughts on that at this present moment in time? To be honest, I think it's more successful in the ladies' game than what it is the men's. Obviously, because of the, especially in the Premier League, all of the money that goes into the Premier League, and I think a lot of clubs kind of like try and sign the best player who isn't necessarily British or whatever, you know, and and that's. That's, I don't think that's ever going to change in the Premier League um, and probably the Championship, to be totally honest with you. Um, but you look at... I mean, you, you just look at the past players who've come out of the North East who are now in the England side. Um, you've got, like, you know, um, Carly Telford, the, goal, the England goalkeeper, is from Sunderland. Jordan Nobbs is from Sunderland, well, from Sedgefield, but she's a Sunderland lass. Obviously, Steph Orton, England captain. Uh, Lucy Bronze. You know, there's Beth Mees, you know, all these are young players who came from Sunderland and have now gone on to play, you know, huge, huge venues, you know what I mean? The Champions League, the World Cup for England and everything like that. So um, I would say more on the women's side, it's it's bigger because you've got that kind, you've got the more, with without the huge amount of money that is in the women's game, you've got a chance to develop all these. Um, I watched Sunderland on Sunday um and there was a couple of young lasses there, Sunderland fans, you know, Neve Heron and uh, Jess Brown, who were both uh, England Lionesses under 17s. Absolutely amazing players. You know, they're going to play at a at a massive high level. You know, probably going to play for England. And it just goes to show that ha- that's how easy it is, really, for the women's team just to go into the colleges, go into the unis or whatever, pick the, the best players, get them to play for Sunderland or Newcastle or Middlesbrough. You know, all three of them have got good sides. Uh, Durham, obviously, um, you know they're favourites to win the uh, women's championship this this season. Um, even though the the lost on Sunday, but it, it shows how you know how great the local football and the, the talent is for, for the ladies' side in the northeast. It's it's probably the biggest hub in, in in England, I would think, for the potential talent and the talent that it's already produced. Cool. Um, Jordan, what what's your thoughts on the the female side of the game uh, with the youth set up and grassroots? Because I know looking at Washington United FC, they look like they have like female teams and stuff. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, I've I've been watching it for a, a fair few years now, from just a, a sort of lower level than like Sunderland and all that. But even um, from afar, you look at the, the work that's been done in the in the women's game, and Ant makes a brilliant point there about that 
trying to develop the the local talent and the local teams and things to obviously uh, you mentioned Neve Heron. I remember she was she scored an absolute scream a little while ago um, for Sunderland if I remember correctly. And there was the thing you mentioned with the the unis and the colleges as well. And brilliant point because uh, Durham women, um, from what I understood, had a partnership with Durham University. Now mm-hmm. that sort of thing you won't really get that with you know um, say Sunderland men because obviously like you say there's too much money in the men's game where they can just go out and pay even if you even if you just look at the signings we've made in league one you still think well we're spending money on players when we could be getting local kids through the academy which we've done this year i must admit you know elliot and dandy you look at these players and you think wow you know this is the talent we've had but like you say for the for the women's game because the money isn't there and it might be a blessing in disguise the fact that they are able to focus more on the grassroots and the development of their own players rather than paying hundreds of thousands to millions of pounds to get the best. You know, I, th- I think it can only be a good thing. And like you say, that especially when it comes to women's football, because um, my mate that Gary mentions there, she was in Sunderland's Academy um, from a young age. And, you know, I think she was a year below, like the, the Jordan Nobbs, the Lucy Stanford, Lucy Bronze, uh you know, all of those kind of players. She was just below them. But I remember hearing the names where she was reporting back to me and said, oh, they're going to be brilliant players. Here they are, playing for England, regular starters, playing in the WSL, you know, and Champions League. And you think, phenomenal. Again, it's just further proof that of, of what the point was made about the North East being this kind of hotbed of of talent and of, of passion for the game. And it, it's, again, I don't think, I think you're right, Ant. I don't think there's many better places like hubs for football or producing the top talent in especially considering you know London obviously you're going to get some phenomenal players from there given the population and things look at the North East and you think uh, you know just the hardship uh, economically and that over over the last however many decades you think we are producing some top top talent here especially given the uh, population of of the different areas. So yeah, I, th- I think it's it's a great point, especially on the women's thing of developing their own players and and uh, yeah, trying to produce the best possible talent they can, and not just spending millions or thousands or whatever it will be on on players from all over the place. Yeah, yeah, totally, one hundred percent. Um, totally agree with that as well. I mean, I've spoke multiple times on this podcast about how I I'm personally a big fan of homegrown talent. Like I would I would look to the academies, uh, if I if I was a manager, for example, bring through players and obviously, you know, coming from the northeast myself, as both of us are, seeing so much talent coming through like like you say, a hotbed Jordan, uh coming through at the moment is it's it's a phenomenal thing to see. I mean, where do we see the youth set up grassroots where do we see it in five years time because there is so, so much more of a focus on it now obviously with coronavirus all of this shut down grassroots wasn't really considered at that point in time because everything had to shut down do you think we're behind at the moment or do you think we're, we're steamrolling forward ahead and we're, we're making more progress than we expected at the moment I mean, personally, I think it, it may have knocked us back a little bit, but something the FA has done over the last few years, particularly with um, coaches, because I've just done one of the courses recently for coaching, yeah. um, they've introduced this England DNA, and I, essentially what they've done is that there's just this standard that they get you to buy into, that they want you to you know, really immerse yourself in, in what they want to see from the ground all the way through to the professional game. And I think that, to be honest, that is a brilliant way to do things because, yes, you can still have coaches who put their own little slant on things and stuff like that, but if everyone's coaching to the same standard and developing players in a similar sort of way, so we know, you know, for the ones that do make it to the professional game, that I think that can only help because there is this sort of uniformed approach Whereas before, I think would have, you know, you look at academies, say, 20 years ago. So when I was playing football as a, as a young lad, eight, nine, ten-year-old, all of the lads that got picked up were 
big. You know what I mean? They were either tall or they were well built, you know, for that age. And we never seemed to really go on talent. I mean, you look at the players that Spain were bringing through 20-something years ago, you know, people like Xavi, Iniesta, you look at one of the greatest players of all time, Lionel Messi, none of whom are exactly giants. You know, they're all relatively... I mean, Xavi, I think, is on the taller side, isn't he? But Iniesta and Messi, you know, you've got two of the most creative uh, players that we've seen in our lifetimes. And they're, what, five foot ten-ish? You know, so I think we... In England, we had the wrong approach to how we look for talent at grassroots level. We just went for these players that were big, strong, and you know could take on an entire team. But we were missing the fact that we you could have a tall lad who was you know six foot five by the time he's fourteen year old, but he might not be able to kick a football. So I think this this uniformed approach that we're going for now is looking trying to develop and really nurture the talent that people have as opposed to just looking right who's biggest in the class sort of uh, thing. That's that's really going to help us. Um, with the pandemic, has it knocked us back a little bit? Possibly. I don't think we'll know that for another few years. But I think from, from where I stand with grassroots football, um, yeah, it probably has, spectator-wise as well, because grassroots football is on, you know, people getting involved, coaches, volunteers, and parents driving the kids to the, to the games, the referees, and... Um, committee members, things like that. That is grassroots football in a nutshell. And it's what I said before about the community aspect of it. So, yeah, getting people back into the game might be a little bit of a struggle at first because there is still some uncertainty about, obviously, the pandemic and things like that. And But I do think if there was a, a big push, particularly when, and this is just my personal opinion, when England play on a weekend, so obviously Premier League, uh, Championship at both, just complete non-starters. There's no games and the majority of League One is wiped out as we saw at the weekend there. I think the FA should have a big initiative. Every time there's an international in the middle of the season, they should put on a big show of trying to get people into non-league games and, and grassroots games just to support the local teams, especially, like you said, Gary, things were put on hold and just came to a total stop in the pandemic. I think that's why the FA should be really encouraging getting... And the professional clubs as well. Sunderland, for example, I mean, how many clubs, grassroots teams on a Saturday are, are between, you know, where Sunderland will get the, the majority of their support from? So you'd say most, some of County Durham, most of Wearside and some of Tyneside. If they put out just a, a social media thing saying, go to such and such this week, you know, um, while we're not playing, just anything like that. And that you'd, you'd see a massive uptake just getting that awareness out there for, for the games that are on. It would be a massive thing. If every team in the Premier League and Championship and some League One teams did that, grassroots football would explode and it would be a brilliant thing because maybe next time Sunderland are away, you might get someone from, I don't know, Pennywell, where they usually go to the Sunderland home games, maybe don't go to the away games, but they wouldn't go to a local game either. Now, if they go to Ford uh, Community Football Hub just down the road, on the weekend that Sunderland aren't playing, they might see a game where they think, oh, you know what, next time Sunderland's away, I'm going to go and watch these. And just that little bit that little bit can make such a difference to, to local community grassroots clubs. Yeah, no, I, I totally think that, that you hit the nail on the head there with that point. I mean, definitely saying there as well, that, you know, if, if the bigger clubs put out, go, go check out like your local club, it would create so much more of a fan following. I mean, and I know that you're a massive fan of following the ladies' game, and I've seen you put stuff out on Twitter trying to encourage people to go to the ladies' game. Obviously, they had like quite a good show on as well, the Sunderland team, on, was it Sunday when we played? I think there was about yeah, 943 was, yeah. uh, fans there, which for the ladies' game, that that's actually quite a good turnout. I mean, I do see that improving year on year on year on year, as long as the focus is on you know the women's game and also you know the, the homegrown players that are coming coming through at the moment i mean we we talked about the pandemic covid shutting down grassroots and shutting down you've set up and you were doing coaching at that point in time and i remember you saying to us it was it was like you would coach one-on-one social distancing and stuff jordan i imagine you were in the same boat here i just want to get both of your thoughts on that 
to be honest, I wasn't doing as much um, through the pandemic. I mean, when we came back, this was like kind of pre-season, sort of being like the first, like 2020 last year. And it was, you weren't allowed any contact. So it was like non-contact football, which, you know, we'd only just taken over an under-18 side and a lot of them weren't particularly interested in it. And it was quite hard to gauge their interest. And bearing in mind, this was like a new side. Um, it was quite difficult to, you know, kind of get the interest of, of, of anyone really because I mean you know football's a contact sport you know no one particularly cares for for all this stuff and there's only so amount of drills I think you can do as a non-contact side of things so um, the first couple of weeks we had a few there and then it, it kind of dwindled off until we got the contact back and um, obviously throughout the lockdown um, you know the one-to-ones was was not so much myself because obviously I haven't got you know the the coaching badges. Um, you know I've got experience in coach, but I don't have a, a coaching badge. That's like more well, my cousin Jack. Who obviously we're going to be getting on at some point. Um, but just very very quickly going back to what uh, Jordan said about the non-league side of things, um, I think he's hit the nail exactly on the head there. With considering there was hardly any football last week, there was no Premier League, no Championship, no like, three or four League One games. Why aren't the big clubs in the northeast, you know, all three of them, saying right, get yourselves to a non-league game, and even if the the big sides maybe subsidise the, the the costings or something like that, you know, say if like Sunderland could have easily just went to South Shields, right, we'll pay for this game or put South Shields on at the Stadium of Light, uh, you know, for one game against, it doesn't matter who they're playing, put you know Newcastle do exactly the same with. You know, I know Gateshead have got a, a, a tremendous stadium anyway, so maybe not them, but you know, Whitley Bay or someone like that. Let them play at the state at the at St James's. Let them get the atmosphere. Let the fans get that atmosphere of um, being in a huge stadium. And, and like you've just said there, Gary, the the atmosphere on Sunday for the ladies' game was unbelievable. You know, and it was seven hundred and forty-three there. It felt like there was around about fourteen thousand. The amount of uh, the amount of singing and chanting that was going on, and that kind of rubbed off on the pitch. And I can just see that being, you know, a huge thing for for grassroots level to get that kind of experience playing in a big stadium or whatever and getting an atmosphere going. Yeah, I mean, I totally one hundred percent. I mean, the 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 good thing that you touched on there Ant, was, you know, get these smaller clubs in, you know, the bigger stadium like St James's and the Stadium of Light and showcase them on a higher platform. And you know what? I think that's an absolutely brilliant idea. And I I really think. The, the bigger clubs should be trying to showcase local communities, local talents and local football clubs. I mean, we're just three normal people. How, how do you go about promoting, you know, a, a lower league team or even promoting the ladies team to, to, to your friend or to a family member yeah. or just someone on social media, though? That's that's the thing. I mean, to be on, to be honest, Gary, I mean, Jordan probably answer this question better than me being a, being a scout and everything yeah. like that. But your kind, especially for those three for them big three sides. Obviously, they've got the the great you know centre of excellence and academies and stuff like that. But you look where Kevin Phillips came from, for example. You know, Kate was a late bloomer. You know, came from non-league into Watford. Watford took a chance on him, and look what happened to him. Jamie Vardy's exactly the same. You know, came from a non-league. Into into you know the Fleetwood, then on to Leicester, and look what Jamie Vardy's done. McCann Antonio, you see these players that have come from a non-league side. Now you look at kind of Newcastle, Sunderland, and Middlesbrough. Bar Lewis Wing, who came from Shildon for Berra, I'm struggling to think of anybody at the minute. You know, I might be wrong. Obviously, like I said, Jordan can answer is better than that. But why isn't there you know the, these kind of you know ideas coming from the scouting networks to you know, promote these sides you know obviously I'm, I'm, like I say Shields are a great side at the minute you know really doing well I've probably got some players who can maybe hack it in League 1 or at least League 2 levels so why aren't the, the big clubs getting more involved with the lower side like I say Jordan will probably answer that better than me but I think it's a, a massive kind of gap what they're missing out on to be totally honest with you instead of spending money on on like you say, on on these big like like on these big time players, like what Sunderland did with Will Grigg, you know Will Grigg was signed for three point five four million, and Sunderland had Sam Greenwood, who was around about seventeen at the time, who probably could have made that step up, and now Sunderland have lost Sam Greenwood to Leeds, you know, who and Sam Greenwood's going to be a Premier League player, you know, John Hugo's exactly the same kind of kind of mould, or he was a little bit younger then, but he's at Manchester United, so they've missed a gap. If you know what I mean by that, and um, for me, I think there's players out there in the non-league who probably could have it, but 
they're not getting looked at as much now because, like I say, it's probably because of the money. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, you said there as well that Jordan would be able to explain that obviously a lot better with him being a scout of Washington United. So, Jordan, as you are a scout of Washington United, how would you sell Washington United to any future prospects that you've scouted? Um, to be honest, mate, um, I would be going off what sold me, um, you know, Washington United, because I, I came back. I wanted to get, to be honest, if I'm in totally honest, I still wanted to play because I'm 28. I've probably got what, two, three years left in my knees. Well, I probably should have retired about five years ago <laughs> if, if I was just going off my knees. But um, so I wanted to, I wanted to play still. But I approached Carmen, you know, I, I asked him, what, what, what have you got? You know, kind of sell me this pen sort of thing. And he, honestly, mate, he just sold me this kind of this this future, this vision he's got, you know, of getting the whole of the Washington community together. Obviously, there is um, there's an already an incredible youth setup at Washington United. Um, as I say, there's 500 junior players there. So he was all about player development. You know, looking at getting as these youngins through the door giving them a place to play on a Saturday and Sunday morning, play with mates, play with a smile on their face. And at the same time, as a club, we can kind of develop and build. And hopefully, you know, the the, the, the main vision is to become an established Northern League team, which is only one division above us. But with uh, the, the men's team, for example, at Washington United, I think they've only been going a, a season and that was curtailed due to COVID. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're looking at this kind of this vision of we want to be at X stage and here's how we're going to get there. They've set out a roadmap and to be honest, man, that is what it sold me. He's, he's got this vision. Well, I say he as in Cam, the manager, but it's it's his coaching staff. He's got about four, five, maybe six coaches with him, all with different areas to focus on. He said, this is how we're going to look at player development. This is how we're looking at uh, you know, sponsorship and commercial side of things. This is what we're doing in the community. This is our youth setup. Um, you know, there is this is a club that's building for the long term. And I know um, that sounds like a soundbite or anything like that, but it genuinely is. Uh, we're looking to develop the best players, produce the best players, and obviously attract the best players. But the main thing for us is we've got a huge pool of young players. We want to try and get getting them through the club, into that first team. And then if they're good enough, which from what I've been told, I've not had a chance to really look at many of the youth players at the moment, but from what I've been told, there's a, there's a few that will will go far. So they could be going through the pyramid. And, and I'd like to think that we were the ones that sort of propelled them to that. Mm. You know, as a club, that's, that there must be nothing better as a coach and as a, a member of a club to... So, for example, I, I know um, my dad... Uh, coached uh, young Sam Greenwood for about a year when he was at Durham City Youth and then he went on to other teams or my dad stepped back I can't remember which one it was but even when I said to him oh have you seen Sam Greenwood sign for Arsenal then oh have you seen him sign for Leeds and even then I could say my dad you know didn't he didn't play any kind of part of it it was literally development football at seven or eight year old but there must be a sense of pride knowing that you've developed someone who's come from the local area and has gone on to great things or has gone on to play a level far above what the club could ever hope to or, or you know, what the club is wanting to aspire to. Um, so, yeah, as I say, that's how I would sell Washington United or grassroots football uh, in particular Washington because they the seem to be doing things different to other uh, Saturday League to the Wayside League and grassroots teams as I say uh, Cameron even mentioned in, in his announcement of me being a scout he says to have a scout at this level of football is rare but that kind of shows the way that we're trying to do things at Washi is we are looking to be a little bit different in our approach because I'm not just going to be looking for the best players around the area I'm not just looking at our next opponents to see where we go I'm also looking at our player development. I'm I'm analysing our performances and seeing how we, how certain players or certain positions are playing, and how we can improve them. So it's not just a case of go to watch such and such. We need a left back or we need a centre forward. It is a case of we've got player X Y Z. Have a look at each of them over the next few weeks. 
and try and identify areas to strengthen in their game or have a look at potential things that haven't been quite untapped yet. Um, if you get what I mean, so I say we've got a centre-back who is incredible, at, you know, very comfortable in training on the ball, but he never really seems to play with the ball in the game. Never really gets the ball out of his feet or anything like that. If we can give him that encouragement and that confidence and, and play to a way that will strengthen him or that will bring that out of him, then again, that's what we're, we're trying to do at Washington is, is trying to get the best out of everyone that we bring through and that we bring into the club. Yeah, definitely. I mean, so as far as the role goes, Jordan, and are you enjoying it then? Absolutely, mate. Um, I've been in the role about two weeks, because uh, I've been back in Durham for three, three and a half weeks. Been back in the role two weeks. Already I've been to see about uh, four games of football. Uh, one was next opponent. Three were either analysing our performance, as in Washington United, or scouting uh, you know the the pool of players uh, for it was it was you know teams either in our division or who we could you know maybe have a look at from a, a lower division but where they should be playing higher or where we can see the potential of how they play so yeah as i say absolutely loving the role mate it's 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 a new one for me it's a new one for for the league to be honest cause i don't know of any other any other team in the wayside league that has scouts um, so yeah, to be doing this sort of thing, a bit of a pioneer sort of um, sort of in the wayside league. It's you know what I'm really enjoying it, mate. And as I say, I'm working with a, a cracking bunch of lads on the coaching team and a good set of lads um, on the pitch as well. Yeah, definitely. It's it sounds like you've got like a role that you really enjoy in there. Definitely. I mean, and if you, if you're scouting like obviously our communities and stuff, northeast communities, you know, you you, you want to be getting the best crop of people coming through your setup. And ultimately, hopefully, you know, moving them on to, you know, bigger and better things because ultimately, I guess that's what they'll want to do. Um, but that that's great. I mean, the, the job sounds, like, really, really good. Like, I'm really happy for you as well, Jordan, having that job. Um, I just want to quickly, finally touch on to, obviously, a little bit of a lighter note. Sunderland, what's your thoughts of the season so far, Jordan? I'm sure Ant can come in here as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, for the, you know what, mate, for the start of the season... And you know me, as a person, I'm very bubbly, I'm very optimistic. I'm a realist, but I'm usually very optimistic. At the start, uh, sorry, before the season started, I was thinking, you know what, well, I'll be happy with playoffs. Thinking we weren't even going to make playoffs, but I would take it there and then. But looking at what we've done in the transfer market, looking at the start we've made, I'm not getting ahead of myself. I'd still, you know, automatic promotion's obviously the goal, and I'd be over the moon with that. But playoffs are still the kind of target, thinking, right, because what I like what um, you know, uh, Christian Speakman, um, what Lee Johnson have done, they've they've kind of they've gone for youth. Obviously, in the past, we've gone for uh, experienced players or players of that little bit of quality, as in Chris Maguire, you know, cracking player, Max Power, again, very dogged midfielder, and you know, it'll work for you. But for one reason or another, we haven't managed to get promotion. I just you know, I think we're cursed. I'm sure the stadium lights built on some kind of graveyard or something because we genuinely are cursed. But I, what I like about um, what Johnson and Speakman have done now is that they seem to be building a team where it's not just a case of, right, get us up this year. It's looking at the future. And what they've also done that I quite like is they've got a few loan deals in for, you know, you'd have to say quality, what seem like quality players, like Doyle, for example, um, that might be one that we have to say is another loan player who we are going to lose. But if he gets us back to the championship, brilliant. Um, what I like is they've got these loans where there is an option to buy if we go up. I think the two lads from uh, Bayern Munich, Dejuka and Hoffman, they both uh, Dejuka sorry and uh, Hoffman, they both have options to buy as I understand if we get promoted. So it, it's less of the, the short sighted thinking that we've had in name the year and you're pretty much right but um, it's more of a, a progressive sort of full like long term thinking similar to what I was saying about Washington United where it's not just the immediate future we're thinking of we seem to be thinking past this season we seem to be thinking long term you look at the way Embo and Dan Neal have played and obviously the lads have brought in uh, Dennis Serkin and uh, Callum Doyle you, you look at them and you think 
they've been t- tremendous, you know. Um, and Patterson as well, um, you know, it made his debut. Oh, his, his first start of the season. I thought, you know what, he looks, he looks like there's a decent keeper in there. Obviously, I'm not sure how much he's going to play with Hoffman coming in, but I think the, the signs are positive. Again, I'm not sticking my flag in the ground and saying we're going to get the title, we're going to get automatic, but I'm. I'm more enthused and more positive than I was before the season started. Aye, definitely. I mean, like, the players that we're bringing in are, like, players who have came, and I said this last week, there's players that were are coming through world-class academies, world-class coaches, world-class facilities. Um, fingers crossed it works out. I mean, and do you have anything you want to add to that? No, I, I, I think... I think John has hit the nail on the head again. Like it's 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 so refreshing to see them actually using, you know, the loan market for what it's it should be used for. Certainly in League One. I mean, you're looking at. I think they tried to do that with Dion Sanderson last year, and obviously Phil Parkinson didn't know how to play Dion Sanderson. Whereas now we've got like you know a young manager with young, with you know fresher methods with pretty much to be honest. Him and Speakman have brought something into the 21st century, whereas we were like, you know, we spent our first season in League One signing League One plodders, you know, the likes of Max Power and, and Maguire, who've, who've always been in League One. And, and it was an idea to get us straight out and, you know, use more money to, you know, improve the squad. Whereas now, obviously, if we do go up, um, you know, Hoffman and... Um, the Japanese, the Japanese, whatever his pronunciation is, um, they... They're obligated to sign them, and obviously um, the deal with Callum Doyle is if we go up, we get them again next year. And I think that's a really—it's just so more refreshing than having you know. I mean, I don't want to speak ill of Charlie White because he's got the goals off last season, but having to watch you know Charlie White, who's a League One plodder, plod on. You know what I mean? Now we've got you know Ross Stewart was bought obviously in January. It wasn't through this date of analysis, but Ross Stewart looks a level above the League One. You know, a lot of the players that have come in do look better than League One. Obviously they've what they've done with Elliot Embleton this season, you know, gave him free reign. He he's really playing well. Dan Neal has been an absolute revelation, you know, that I mean that lad's unbelievable. You know, he's a Premier League player in the making him. And for me, kind of if it doesn't happen this season, I'd be very, very worried about the long term future for Sunderland because these players that they've attracted this year, I'm not sure they'll be able to do that again. You know, I think it's it's within mind of going up this year. And um, from what I've seen so far, I mean, we've we've not particularly looked apart from against Burton where we actually lost. We played really, really well. So um, we've run, we've looked pretty much untroubled. But I mean, huge game on Saturday. You know, we've got Accrington who who were joint top with us. So massive, massive game. But I think I'm more a kind of enjoying going now more this season than I have any other time in League One, which is, it can only be a good thing. And I think the, the fans are getting on side now with with Sunderland, whereas, you know, a couple of years ago when we were losing, say, 1-0 off, off your Burtons or off your, you know, your Rochdales or whatever at home, the fans were very, very quick to get on the, the players' backs. But now, because there's young lads trying, and you can tell that they're trying the best, you know, they're, doing, they're putting 100% in, the crowd are giving you that back. So they're kind of, you know, we, we went 1-0 down against Wigan the first uh, game of the season. No one booed, no one got on the backs and they, they turned it around and they won 2-1. You know, so the crowd are getting into the idea of, you know, getting into this um, model of, of the way we're going to be playing, the way we're going to be, you know, signing players. And it's just great to see. I mean, it's again, like what John said, I mean, Callum Doyle looks an England international ready player now. What's he going to be like in two or three years? And that could be with Sunderland. You know, because I mean, City, uh, Ford and probably breaks the mould, really. But City don't bring up that many players from the academy. You know, they always go out and buy the best player or they buy, you know, the best young player in development. You know, there's only really Ford, and I would say, who's English, who's come up through that level. So we could potentially have a chance of signing Callum Doyle. So it would be, it'd be amazing. But I do think it has to happen this year. Otherwise, there's going to be there's going to be teams now who are going to be looking at the likes of, you know, Dan Neal and thinking they'll do well for us and um, we, we, will, we will struggle to replace them. Yeah, I mean, and this this whole podcast as well kind of fits in tall with what it is that we've been discussing. Like, we, we look at the players that have came through to us this season on loan 
obviously there's been a couple of permanent deals there with Shirkin and Huggins. Um, and they all come from youth academies. And for years, I don't know how many times we've been saying this as Sunderland fans, we give the kids give the kids a chance. We spent exactly we spent exactly. So much I mean, like it's it's like it's like I said. I mean, um, abs- with with the old model of of Donald and Method or whatever, you know. I mean, you look at the academy. What Sunderland's got at the minute. I don't know if you've ever been to the facilities, Gary or John, but the facilities are absolutely tremendous. It's a Premier League standard academy. And they've produced, you know, over uh, bar the, the lads this season. Obviously, you know, you've got Denver Hume, Elliot Hamilton, and Dan Neil. But them aside, they produced two, you know, international players in John Pickford and um, John Henderson. Now, for me, for that money that they've spent and the money that they obviously have to, you know, spend every year to keep that category here, that should be it. Should be shouldn't be two. That should be potentially two a season that are coming through. Um, but the, what they've done was trying to you know, obviously, you know, sign on the likes of Maguire, Power, Wyke, when they should have been looking at the under 18s, the under 23s. And there were some good players there, like I say, Greenwood, you know, John Hugel, Logan Pye, um, and Pyle, sorry, uh, I just Pye, sorry, Logan Pye. Uh, there's another one who went to Burroughs, just been released, and I can't remember his name. Um, but now they've got obviously Patterson, who's come through, Dan Neal, who's come through. There's a guy, um, 323 is bang on the minute. The minute um, Harris, who looks all right, Josh Hawks, who came from Hartlepool, banged in a few goals last year, has gone out on loan. You know, it's nice to see them actually trying to do it, trying to do it the way it should have been done five, six, seven years ago. Right, uh, there's two players you missed there as well who went on to have very prominent careers. Barley, well, Barley Mumba's now playing the Premier League. Granted, he's he's not getting yeah. a game, but Josh Madjo went to Bordeaux, and granted, you know, he's probably going to be coming back to another league. He was sent out on loan to Fulham, but you know, Josh Madjo, where would we have been if we kept him? That's what I think. Because he he yeah, was that even, yeah, leader. exactly. I mean, even if he did leave at the end of the year, and this was. It, it's always been my big thing with, with, with that, and it's the main reason why I won't watch the Sun Until I Die series two, is why would you think of being a, being the owner or being whatever with Josh Madden? Now, Josh Madden, if he didn't want to play for something, that's fine. But surely you could have said, right, get us promoted, you know, because we would have gone up. If, if barring an injury, I think Madge's goals would have kept us up. But... At the end of the season, go to whoever you want to go. We'll still get a fee because we brought him through the academy. You know, I would, we got him from from uh, Fulham, I believe. But he was an academy-produced product at Sunderland who we would have got a fee for. You know, it was the same with Barley Mumba. We did receive a fee for Barley Mumba, but it was pittance. But Barley Mumba wasn't used right at Sunderland because they knew he was a potential talent that they were going to try and cash in on. You know, Barley Mumble was never thought of, oh, he's a potential Sunderland captain, this, that, and the other, despite them giving the captain's armband at Wolves away on the last game, the, uh, Wolves at home, sorry, on the last game of the championship season. The the owners had this, you know, kind of tunnel vision that they needed to get back in the championship. And when it didn't happen, the assets stripped the club, you know, which was wrong, totally wrong. And we've ended up losing, like I say, two or three good, good players who probably would have got us out of this league. You know, like I say, I mean, like I say, I mean, I, I've said, I've mentioned Sam Greenwood two or three times um, on this podcast, but Sam Greenwood is a top, top player playing for, you know, he's getting on the bench now for Leeds. Why we didn't try and get him in on loan maybe last year is beyond us, you know, and he would have had an experience of getting into League One, having having a League One season, probably scoring a fair few goals, but instead we put our trust in Charlie White. Now, Charlie White did very well. Charlie Wright did well because Aidan McGeady was playing, you know, playing on the left-hand side midfield, putting balls on the plate for him. Now, you can't tell me the majority of his goals, a young lad probably would have scored them because the majority of them were tap-ins or headers or something like that. So I just found it weird. I found the whole thing, the last what they've done the last four years, trying to get out of League One, is quite, you know, quite arrogant, to be honest, quite blasé. Whereas now, with using the youth, signing young lads from other... From other um, Clubs on loan is the right way to go about it, and like apologies if that's a last if that's a long worded answer for you, Gary. But um, yeah, that probably needed to be said a few, nah, a few times I this think, season. But never mind. I think we're probably all in agreement with that. And uh, like, I just want to quickly touch on uh, Leon Giacu. He came through Stuttgart's academy, and Stuttgart have a renowned reputation for producing top draw talent. So like, yeah. as far as can Giacu I just very goes, very quickly, Gary? I'm sorry to interrupt. Just give you a kind of like. Um, well, not an alternative, but between Diablo and Will Grigg, for instance, right? And Will Grigg has just left Sunderland last week, went to Rotherham. And Will Grigg lived in the northwest of England, did not move 
to come up north, to come up the north east, still live down there, has barely put any effort in playing for Sunderland and has now left. Now, if you looked at Diapu's um, Instagram story last night, he's he was walking around in the stadium of light in the dark, right. just taking it all in. And that's the kind of calibre of player that we need to be looking at, not some, you know... League, you know, a plodder, and that's all. You know, Will Grigg will score goals in League One for Rotherham, probably. You know, he will, but he didn't want to come in the first place. So, why did we try and sign someone who didn't want to come? Now, I know I'm we're in danger of you know, kind of going totally off topic of grassroots, but you know, I just find, I find it absolutely mad. I really do. Uh, I mean, quickly touching back on the grassroots side of things, I mean, the players that we have signed have came from youth systems and, like, I think we're all in agreement, like, this season could be a, a good season for us. But uh, we'll leave the Sunland chatter there. I mean, we'll probably go on all night talking about Sunland. But <laughs> lastly, lastly, what I want to do is I just want to bring in Jordan, our little feature. I should have said and came up with this feature. Um, It's called Baller and Ballyak of the Week. Basically, you pick a player or even a moment where it was like a standout moment and then it doesn't have to be football john it can be anything anything yeah. oh, right, right. um so uh baller of the week baller of the week has got to be uh the england team and gareth southgate as a collective uh last week and it was hungry wasn't it we were playing um where stuff getting chucked on the pitch after we'd scored i think sterling scored obviously um I can't remember. Was it Bulgaria or Hungary? I, I always get the three things. Yeah, it was Hungary, yeah. Hungary. Hungary. Yeah, so Hungary fans have gone nuts, chucked stuff on the pitch. You've got people like uh, Jack Grealish and Declan Rice just pretending to drink and just, you know, the sort of, that kind of, just winding them up even more, if anything. But it's that kind of, in the face of ignorance and... Um, what's the old point? If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. It's that kind of... You know, they're in this hostile environment and they're keeping the heads and just being this cool, suave, you know, just these absolute characters sticking together and just, you know, the the hatred and the bigotry from the, the hungry fans, it's not going to win. And, you know, we batted them on the pitch and we just made them look stupid um, with regards to the their antics as well, you know, and the way we reacted. Gareth Southgate as well, absolutely phenomenal, as always. The bloke is the best thing that happened to the England side for God knows how many years, and not just for the on-the-pitch revolution we've seen, for the off-the-pitch as well. The, the, he's got a, a side of good, honest lads who just want, you know, who will give their all and run through brick walls for him. And just, uh, he's instilled that pride in in what playing for England should be about. Um, so, Bowler is the England team and Gareth Southgate as a whole, and conversely, uh, you know, on, on the other side of things, the ball, the ball ache of the week has to be uh, hungry, hungry fans, hungry FA, every, you know, everyone who played a part in the sort of horrible scenes and things that we saw or the, you know, the gestures and stuff. It's just anyone involved in that, they're my uh, ball ache of the week. Ah, fair one. I mean, I saw the uh, the memes of Deck Rice and uh, Jack Grealish where they had the cups, and there's yeah. John Stones what, what and Harry Maguire in the background, uh, and it's see, like when your mates get Larry, uh, where they, they're taking a drink out of the cup, and Stones and Maguire are standing behind them looking, it's not so quite funny. concerned, but sort of it it had the look of um two like big lads, you know, your your two big mates on a night out thinking. We're gonna to have to bail him out here again, you know. <laughs> when he's getting aggy in the that club, kind of thing. Um, that's that's what it sums it up for me. But yeah, definitely, you know, you see uh, Grealish and Rice where they're, they're taking the mick and Sterling where he's doing the um, cup in his ears and uh, fingers in his ears, that sort of thing. Just absolutely brilliant, man. Aye. I mean, my only worrying part of about that that whole celebration. Don't get us wrong. I thought it was absolutely brilliant, and and that's the right way to um you know to combat that that stuff is not let it you know as much as it's minging as it is not let it like kind of affect affect us on the pitch or whatever but my worry has been to a lot of music festivals and gigs the stuff that goes in the cups isn't normally alcohol so i hope they clean the teeth or they cleanse themselves afterwards yeah. I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna list mine out there Ant, and i'm gonna get you in last all right ready so my baller has to be a ball S and it has to be Emma Raducanu. Oh, Gary, I knew you'd That's go. exactly That's why I got it in next. 
Emma Raducanu. I mean, you know what? She is a shining light for British tennis. Mate, you can say exactly the same, to be fair. She's a shining light for British tennis. And you know what? I'm not going to say much about it, and I'm going to leave that to you. And I'm going to simply <laughs> mention my ball ache of the week, which is from a personal perspective. I really wanted to watch the um, the Feyenoord documentary on Disney+, Plus because I really liked it, Advocat. And I think it looks really good. But I went to watch it last night, and it's all in Dutch and Disney subtitles. That's an absolute ball ache, because I was really interested in watching that. <laughs> I'm not going to sit there and learn Dutch. I don't even know how to switch the subtitles on. Morning of the week's Gary for not knowing Dutch. <laughs> I loved it, Advocat. Absolutely loved them. But then I was like, I don't understand Dutch. I watched about eight minutes of it. I was like, I can't watch this. Like, but I Google Translate, no, Gary. Well, it'll take us ages. It'll take us about a week to watch it. I mean, I've got 10 days off from work as of Wednesday. Like, so I'm probably watching an episode or two and then. But I mean, if I can switch the subtitles on, it'll be all right. But I don't know how to figure it out. But, and I'm going to leave this to finish on you with Baller and Baller because I know obviously yeah, we're talking about Emma Ronicardi. Obviously, Baller or Baller, is what we're saying. Obviously, Emma Ronicardi, um, absolutely amazing. That's a Grand Slam winner in, in the making. You know, she's 18 years of age and is absolutely blowing away everyone she's played so far. And this, this includes in the qualifiers. I mean, the girl's not lost a set in the US Open and she's played like eight or nine games already and she's just so good you know just watching them as well it's not like she's beaten like you know also rounds up people her age she's beaten absolutely top quality tennis players you know really really hard games she's got tomorrow against Belinda Bencic but I honestly think she can win I honestly think she'll she can win the tournament I think it's like it's that She's doing that well and she's that good. Um, the only thing that will stop Emma Raducanu from winning a major for, for for England, for Great Britain, sorry, is her body. You know, if if, if, if as, as long as she keeps injury-free, in, you know, and she's become the absolute darling of, of American tennis as well as British tennis, you know, I mean, that girl's going to be a, post, a poster for for, the, for the, the game of tennis, she's done so well, and it's it can only be such a good thing considering what's gone on. You know, obviously regarding Naomi Osaka with her mental health, the Williams sisters, you know, who were calling time on the career, you know, and winding down a little bit, and to have like the next big thing being British is just great for the for the sport of tennis. So yeah, I have used to cruelly stole her. I'm I'm gonna have her as well. I'll have Emma Raducanu for that one. And um, Ball Lake is the poor. <laughs> the poor Anvisor, Anvisa um, health <laughs> health guys who had to um, invade the pitch between the Brazil and Argentina game on Sunday, on uh, Friday night or Saturday night, whenever it was. Um, they must have balls of steel to be able to do that. Bless them. <laughs> uh, you know, completely. You know, destroy the um, South American game, game really by. Um, Interrupting the dar- interrupting that derby game and telling players that they have to go get off the pitch and self isolate. I mean, kudos to them to be honest, Paul. I mean, that must have been such a hard thing to do. So I'm going to give it to them guys. You know, uh, it, all for the right reasons. Don't get us wrong, but I just found it absolutely hilarious. And I mean, how on earth it got to that point in the first place is probably why it's me ball ache of the week. Oh, there was some hilarious memes like VAR deportation. Like there was some hilarious memes about it. Like. But like the, the reason Ant, I wanted to finish on you about Radicanu there is because ultimately we've been discussing grassroots youth setup. She has came through the youth ranks in tennis and ultimately look at what she's doing there now. And I don't think there's any better way to finish on that. She is she is a shining light for British tennis. So like I think, yeah, I mean, I think... like I say, this time next week when we record again, we could very well be talking about a Grand Slam winner because that's that's the way she's going. You know, she's if if this was like like Novak Djokovic, you know, blasting players away, you you kind of would be thinking he's going to win this at a can there, and she's doing it. You know, she's in the last eight. It's three more wins. You know, three more wins. Yeah, like I said, tomorrow is a very very difficult game, but. I think she'll do it to be honest. I think she'll I think she'll beat Benchich and then I haven't really looked at the draw, so I'm not sure who she's got, but there's there's not really that many players to fear, you know. The majority of the, the, the top seeds are out, you know, Barty's out, who I thought would would have won the whole thing, you know, she got knocked out and Radakanu beat the girl who who beat Barty six two, six one or or something like that. So, you know, the sky's the limit for her. You know, if it doesn't happen at this US Open, it will happen very soon in her career, I think, providing she stays injury-free. Injury so, um, yeah, I mean, I just think she's great. And 
that you know she's got such an infectious like kind of smile and attitude about it all as well like it's literally like someone who just cannot believe it's happening to her you know i, I think she's great i really do yeah, I totally agree. And she was taking selfies and stuff with uh, the fans and stuff. You can tell that it means a lot to her. But anyway, we'll leave it at that. And as always, cheers for joining us. Uh, I'm sure you'll be back very yeah, I'll see you next week, mate. I definitely. And Jordan, really appreciate you taking time out of your day, night, should I say, to come on our podcast and obviously discuss like discuss your journey from grassroots to youth and you know discuss your role for Washington United. I mean, um, any local fans who are you know, listening to our podcast get out there and you know like support your local you know like your local community such as washington united Um, really appreciate you coming on today jordan really appreciate it mate i really really enjoyed it cheers lads it was ah. uh it was a blast thank you yeah no. did gary mention he really appreciates you coming on john <laughs> <laughs> he, he might have made I'm, I'm not sure he might have mentioned it once or twice did i mention that i really appreciate it <laughs> But thanks no, as always. Sports Social Podcast Network. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.